Good morning. Okay. Um, so I'm really excited and a little bit nervous this morning. Don't know why. Um, I love being up here and talking to all of you, even though I see like three faces and mostly light. I know the love is here. So we're continuing on our series on the parables this morning, and um, Justin has led us in the first two. Um, parables are so fun, um, and so I'm really excited to get into it, and I'm really excited because I got to choose what I'm preaching on instead of just signing up for what was already chosen, so yeah, know it's going to be good. So this morning, um, I'm going to read through There's two parables that I'm going over that are short and similar. I'm going to read through them and then pray, and then we'll get started. Sound good? All right. So this morning I'm reading the parables in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the ears of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you and hear you. Reveal to us the coming of your kingdom. Amen. All right, so a little bit of background here. Um, So the previous parables that Justin talked about um, leading up to this were told to a crowd of people gathered. And um, the the scenery kind of changes here back in verse 36. Jesus leaves the crowd with his disciples, and these are in a shorter set of parables that are told only to the twelve. And the two parables are very similar, so you can see why I put them together and and they come one after another. Um, So there are like five basic things that are in each, or not really themes, but just what we see in them. Um, both contain a thing of great value, and one it's a treasure and another a pearl. Both highlight the finding of that thing, and then have the key characters going out and leaving it. They sell everything they have, and then they come back to purchase the object they desire. But some important differences to note. In the first parable, Um, The man's joy at finding the treasure is noted. And then also the method of finding uh, differs. So in the first one, it kind of seems like accidental, like he just found this treasure. And in the second one, this this person is seeking out pearls and finds this pearl. So there's like an accidental finding and an intentional seeking. These two parables also continue some themes that we saw in the parables before. Um, These are the themes of hiddenness and smallness. So you think like hidden treasure, tiny pearl, and we saw hidden leaven in one of the parables before, and then as Justin talked about last week, the tiny mustard seed. And it's interesting because these are themes being compared to the kingdom of God when when Jesus is telling these parables, and the kingdom 
that the Jewish people are expecting at this time, that these disciples are expecting, is large and seen by the world, not something hidden and small. So let's look at the first one individually and then the second one. Um, So the first one I'll read again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So a few parts of this parable stuck out to me, but um, the first that I kind of got stuck on for a while was, why rebury the treasure? Like, you found a treasure, wouldn't you just take it and win? Like, be like, yeah. Um, And so I guess it turns out that buried treasure isn't just something that pirates did, that we played pirates and finding treasure as kids and all that. Um, Without banks or safety deposit boxes like we have today, under the ground in a known but hidden spot, um, that might have been just a secure enough place to put your excess wealth. And um, since it wasn't an uncommon practice, it could have been that Someone buried a treasure there and forgot to retrieve it before they died, and now this person found it. How lucky for them. But regardless, it was not the man in this parable, is not this person's um, right to legally possess, right? And so I guess, you know, buying, um, buying the field meant that then he could legally obtain it. So maybe that's why. I don't know that that matters, but I wondered about it, so. (laughs) But another thing about buried treasure that I found interesting in thinking about it, and especially when you think about, like, the dream of it as a kid, like finding buried treasure and stuff and the fantasy of it, the thing about it is someone could be so close to it, standing right over it, and not know it was there. It's pretty cool to think about. And this man is lucky, and his joy in finding this treasure is so relatable, right? How excited do you get when you find cash hidden somewhere that you forgot you put it a long time ago? I found a dollar in a book that I used as a bookmark the other day, and it's only a dollar, and I was so excited. It's still in the book, though. (laughs) And so many people, they pray for that kind of luck. I mean, we daydream about what we'd do if we won the lottery, even if we don't play it, right? So relatable. And this man goes, he sells all that he has to buy that field, to have that treasure. And he doesn't weigh the cost and benefits of doing so. We don't know what wealth he gave up to get it or what he was gaining in obtaining it, The parable suggests that that didn't matter to him. In his joy, it says, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Instantly, he gives everything that he has for that thing he has found that he knows is worth it. So then, let's look in the second parable. It says again, telling us that these two are related and linked together again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went out, sold all that he had, and bought it. And this person in the second parable may not 
be as easy relate to relate to. So he's a merchant, a buyer and seller of goods, a tradesperson. And we, in our modern minds, might kind of have a neutral reaction to that term, or even favor it, like, yeah, oh, he's an entrepreneur, awesome. But when we look closer at the Greek word here, impros, the word for merchant, and then do like, like a word study where you search, where else is it used in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and then in the Greek version, or in the New Testament, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, um, we find that it suggests a less than favorable connotation. Merchants are likened to snakes and cheats, someone who would sell their own grandmother if the price was right. So he's not just some random lucky person as in parable before. And this merchant is seeking pearls, something very rare, valued higher than gold, and we do see pearls in scripture kind of likened to this great thing. So hearing in the parable that he's willing to give so much for this pearl of great value may not be so surprising. However, the aim of the merchant in his trade was to find multiple pearls and use them as a value in trade. His aim is to increase his wealth and possessions, not to give all of them in order to obtain this one pearl. It it doesn't quite make sense. The merchant's actions defy common sense. Rather than build a diverse portfolio, as the modern-day equivalent might be, he puts everything he has in this one stock. I'm not a finance person, and this analogy might show it, but even I know that's just bad economics. But this selling everything for a treasure, for a pearl, this is a theme that we see repeated in Matthew's gospel. Later in chapter 19, and some of you might be familiar with this story, A young man who is very wealthy seeks out Jesus and asks him how he is to obtain eternal life. In addition to following the commandments, which the man insists he has done, Jesus tells him to sell all he has, give it to the poor, and then come follow him. And the man, unwilling to do this, leaves. The tension that this command to sell everything that we see in both that person in 19 and in these two parables kind of creates a tension in us, right? The cost of following Jesus, it means abandoning our own kingdoms in pursuit of God's kingdom. And let's recall to whom these two parables were given the 12 disciples, the 12 people who left everything, their homes, their livelihoods, their own plans and dreams and goals to follow Jesus. So when Jesus asked them later after telling them these two parables, have you understood all this? They say yes. And I think to a certain extent, they did understand. Discipleship has a cost. Following Jesus has a cost and requires that we be willing to give everything as well, 
our time, our finances, our own plans for our lives in the pursuit of that kingdom. In chapter 6, I'm jumping around Matthew's gospel, I'm sorry. In chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we treasure, what we find value in, what we hold on to, what we bury for safekeeping, just in case, that weighs on our hearts. And ultimately, it's our heart that God desires. So kind of moment of realness, like this is real hard for me. (laughs) Like in my anxiety and need for control, and I know I'm not alone in that. I fear giving everything, like want to hold on to things, and I know it, it holds back a part of myself and my heart from God, and that is just my sin and my struggle that is real, that I confess. And after um, the chapter with the, the story with the rich young man in chapter 19, the one who's unwilling to sell everything and, and to follow Jesus, to give everything like the two men in the parable, the disciples wonder to Jesus how anyone can then be saved. Like They recognize this is wow. And Jesus says, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. There's hope for us all yet. So the traditional kind of interpretation of these two parables is they're about discipleship. And a lot of you know, or maybe don't, I recently kind of changed my role on staff here um, to be about discipleship. And I, I have been in that change really thinking through and praying through what is discipleship? What does it mean? What does it look like? How do we do it as a church in 2023? And to me, discipleship is really, it's following Jesus is the basics, like to be a disciple of Jesus. But discipleship is more than that. It's, it's, about, it's about really looking at what does this look like for me in my life, in my part of the world. And it's really personal. And, you know, like there's models you can set up and and it it goes so much deeper than like read your Bible and pray. We in real life encounter so many things that it's hard to know sometimes. And so discipleship as as it is, in the church really comes down to we need each other to do this work. We need each other. And so having people walk alongside you as you wrestle through this, um, as you struggle with, you know, giving up things, as you struggle um, with saying no to things, 
and whatever else comes your way in your life. Um, so we have here bands, which we've talked about a bunch, and um, we're going to have a meeting afterward if you're interested in that, where it, it really is a group of like three to five people that do that together, that explore those questions and that do the soul work, the hard work of discipleship together. And we have small groups which do the same thing in a bigger capacity and um, kind of vary in, in, in how they approach that. And I'm hoping as time goes on, we'll have more. We'll, we'll figure out what, how, how to do this together, what the needs are, and if you have ideas, if you have places where you're like, hey, this part of being a Christian is really hard. How, how do we find support for that? Um, let me know. It's really open. So I didn't script any of that out, so as you can tell, but just something I'm thinking about. So discipleship. Okay. Before, before I wrap up, I um, want to go back to that second parable. So I focus more on the second parable in reading this because it always kind of struck me as more odd, this merchant and the pearl. Um, and so I want, I want to go back to that real quick. And yeah, so in selling everything for this one pearl, we think this person is not introduced as like a man. It's, it's a merchant, right? A merchant. And I told you what a merchant's kind of job is, what he's expected to do. But the thing is, when, when he sells everything and buys this one pearl, he changes his own identity. He's no longer a merchant of pearls. He's just a man with a pearl. His searching and trading and buying and selling has ceased. And I love what New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine has to say about this parable. She says, We are continually seeking. Whether the object is fine pearls, a new job, another degree, or spiritual fulfillment. But each time we find our goal, it turns out to be ephemeral. There's always a new necklace, a new career, a new form of study, a nagging sense that we have not done what we need to do. We flit from desire to desire, never permanently fulfilled, always somewhat discontent. The merchant has removed himself from the realm of buying and selling, seeking and finding, wanting and wanting more. Not only can the cycle be broken, the merchant demonstrates that one can step out of it entirely. The upside-down kingdom that these parables show us, where earthly economics no longer makes sense, I think that's what it's offering us, ultimately, this freedom. And I think that's, that's the treasure, right? That's what we would give everything for. So we're going to move on to a time of communion. Um... And I made the communion bread for you. So hopefully it's good. I've been on a bread-making kick. So 
on the night that Jesus was with his disciples, after all of this, after the parables, the teaching, before stuff was about to hit the fan, they're all just gathered around the table, and he picks up the bread, and he takes it, and he says, take, eat this, for this is my body, broken for you. And then he takes the cup and says, take and drink from this, because this is my blood spilled out for you, and do this in remembrance of me. Because he was showing them the real cost of discipleship right there, the cross. That's giving everything and calling them to move that way. It's a lot. But I think back to what he said to the, to the rich young ruler, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. And remember that God did this for us <laughs> through Jesus. He took on the hardest part of it and left us each other to do the rest. So if you come in response tonight or today, this morning, I don't know what day or time it is, and, and take communion, you'll pull off a piece of this hopefully delicious bread, dip it in the cup, and, and take it. Um, there will be an usher with a lightsaber over here guiding you out this way by row and around and back to your row. And there's a gluten-free option if you need that, which I did not bake, sorry.